You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Annie. I don't care what you do. Good, fine. I'll tell you what I'm doing this weekend. I'm getting laid. 1990s and nobody is getting laid. I'm the only man in America who was getting laid this weekend and I haven't been laid that much. Six girls in college, maybe seven. How long have you been standing there? Forever. What did you hear me just say? Six girls in college, maybe seven. Seven. Eight! Eight. Mary Kelly. This is the one I like. If you thought these guys spent every waking hour of their lives doing manly things like watching sports while yelling at their TVs, shaving with straight razors, and revving their V8 truck engines, well, yeah, think again. It's time for Mackie and Judd to turn in their man cars. This is Rom-Com Rewind. Obviously, this is very manly. I've been an excellent third baseman for as long as I or anyone else can remember. And while we're on the subject, let's just say right now that Brooks Robinson was the best third baseman ever. Hmm. It's important that you agree with me on that because I'm from Baltimore. She thinks Brooks Robinson's the greatest. So do you. Everyone thinks Brooks Robinson is the greatest. It's a sign. Here's a sign. All right. Where is Seattle? Right. Where is Baltimore? right there look one two three four there's like 26 states between here and there now that's a sign i'm out of here <laughs> gentlemen welcome in to another edition of rom-com rewind here i'm mackie and judd and uh, we thought it'd be fun to choose this 1993 classic sleepless in seattle because as as you guys know having listened to the show the last couple weeks Uh, This is my first week living in the city of Seattle. I am now a transplant Minnesota sports fan. And as a coincidence and luck would have it, our townhouse is literally like a mile and a half down the street uh, from from where the Sleepless in Seattle houseboat is on Lake Union. So I'm hoping to go stock it at some point. I don't know if someone lives. Maybe Tom Hanks. Yeah. I think Tom Hanks and Jonah still live there. Maybe. Just wander no, in. I no, have, I have takes on that house too that I want to. Bring no, to I don't away. because uh, because the the kid quit acting and is now selling cars in Los Angeles. Good for him. Is he? Yeah, I, I looked it up last night. He quit the profession and is selling cars. That's too bad. I thought he did a great job. In the I have a I lot of thoughts made. about. I did too. I have a lot of thoughts about his performance. Of a young Declan. Yep. Oh. Yeah, he did kind of remind. Uh, nah, he a wasn't little, a little spunk in that personality. Yeah. You strike me as more squirrely as a child. He wasn't that squirrely. <laughs> he was pretty damn squirrely. Oh, you didn't strike me as that squirrely. He was he he was the brains of the operation. We'll get into it. So uh, all right. So sleepless in Seattle, nineteen ninety three. Here's the summary. Mm-hmm. After the death of his wife, Sam Baldwin, played by Tom Hanks, moved to Seattle with his son Jonah. When Jonah calls into a talk radio program to find a new wife for his father. Sam grudgingly gets on the phone line to discuss his feelings with the radio host. Annie Reed, played by Meg Ryan, a reporter in Baltimore, hears Sam speak on this radio show and falls for him, even though she is already engaged. Unsure where it will lead, she writes Sam a letter asking him to meet her at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, 
they met at the they met at the Empire State Building and they fall in love. Seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, no, we we think they we do. Think that, yeah, we're not quite sure There's, what happens. I have issues. A lot of room for a sequel, yeah. which never happened. Despite the fact point. these two couldn't stop doing rom coms together. I mean, the sequel was You've Got Mail, and uh, never saw. Clearly, it. They, they they forgot meeting in a previous life. Well, oh well, if you've never seen You've Got Mail, then I think we need to add that to the list yes. of rom com rewinds for you've sure. You've got mail. So 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics' consensus from Rotten Tomatoes says Sleepless in Seattle is a cute classic with a very light touch and real chemistry between the two leads, even when spending an entire movie apart. $21 million budget turned into $223 million at the box office. I feel like this was sort of the heyday of rom-coms, like all throughout the... Like from Harry Met Sally all the way through this and a bunch of other ones throughout the 90s. And the Meg Ryan ones. Like she owned the franchise. Yes. She was. If you were going to make money, you went to Meg and said, please be the the lead female in my rom-com. I don't want to be insensitive, but I feel like our friend Meg Ryan may have taken all the money she made in those rom-coms in the 90s and spent it on plastic surgery for her face. But I don't want to be insensitive. Which I really don't know why, because she's very attractive and really didn't need a lot. She didn't need any help. Like yeah, I, I really she aged, but that that's fine. Yeah. So uh, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Rosie O'Donnell, and Bill Pullman in this movie, yeah, and a couple Pullman. other uh, familiar faces. I got to talk about Bill Pullman too. I got thoughts there. Kind of a lot, a lot of thoughts. Bill Pullman's in Bill Pullman's in everything in the nineties. He's playing. He's playing. Oh yeah. Husbands, presidents, yep. you name it. So we'll start with Jeb. What was your key takeaway from Sleepless in Seattle? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to bring up, and, and I actually, as I watched the film, I Googled this, and there is a parallel, and I, I think what we don't know is who copied whom, although I think we do know. Within a month of each other, Sleepless in Seattle was released in 1993, and a little cheer spinoff on NBC called Frasier debuted. You notice the parallels in those two things? Frasier Frazier, a, a therapist who hosts a radio show who's moved to Seattle, uh, sleepless in Seattle. They moved from Chicago to Seattle, but they call a radio show. And it's down to the fact that Frazier's tagline when people call in and, and the the female host of the show, when Jonah calls in, use the same line, which is like, hey, what's up or something. Anyway. Interesting. I never got into Frasier. It was always like super boring and dry for me as a kid. But, so just never. Anyway, Google the two and you will see that basic, that one basically said, that's a good idea. I'm going to to use that. And I think it was the TV show that um, essentially stole from the movie. All right. So my takeaway is this. Phil, back to your point. This was the heyday of rom-coms. And, and there were no two better people to cast by this point than Hanks and Ryan, um, I had seen, in fact, I didn't recall this until I started to watch it yesterday. I saw this in the theaters at the time. Um, wow. and it, it, it was essentially to me, um, when Harry met Sally too, like she was so good in that. And she had been, I think the first rom-com she did with Hanks was Joe versus the volcano. If I'm not mistaken, that's correct. Yes. Um, but, but my ultimate takeaway was, and I don't know if I didn't appreciate this when, when I saw this. At the time, I would have been about 23 or 24. Um, the role, the importance of the role that Jonah, the son, Tom Hanks's son, plays in this film. And I had completely forgotten that they didn't meet, like the main characters did not meet 
until the very, very end, and it's very brief. Yeah. It's very brief. In fact, when we get to our, our chemistry category, I'm going to make it an argument. Yes. That we turn it on its head a little bit. I agree. Uh, because I because this was, one, it was very creative. So I like the film. This is no slight against the film. But I, I really came away now from watching that film with the takeaway that the role of Jonah was absolutely imperative and that they had to find, and they did a good job of finding the right kid to play it. Because if they hadn't, I think that film is largely a disaster. Like, if that kid's an annoying, I think you're screwed, boys. It's a fair point. Uh, Dex, what was your main takeaway? My main t- so this is the first time I've ever seen this because I've never seen it before. Uh, I've heard the legends of it. I know it's like it's, it's a very iconic romantic comedy. But my main takeaway was that I, this is like kind of a heavy movie. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's pretty – it's not your classic like – all Danzel in distress and the guy looking for stability, like, necessarily. It, it was, there was death involved. Um, as the loser of, uh, loser, yeah, as, to, as a guy who has lost both parents prematurely, like, the opening scene where he's like, if we start asking why, then we're going to drive ourselves insane. Like, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is how we start this film? Like, mm-hmm. like, like this is this is not just normal. And then he's, the, the kid's sad, and, you know, like, I'm starting to forget mom. And it's just like, oh, my God, like, I, I was expecting more, like, cheesy classic you know rom-coms that we've done over the last four or five weeks here and instead it was like kind of like pulled at your heartstrings a little bit and i was like man this is not your classic rom-com like it's a it's a really good movie and i enjoyed it by the way i really did enjoy this film but it 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 really hit me in the feels there was numerous scenes where i was like damn this is not like cheesy and funny this is actually a serious movie yeah when a movie starts in a graveyard like it's 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 setting a tone there, right? I mean, they're, it's literally starting you in a graveyard after his wife dies. Don't so. you guys? Don't, so Dex is right as far as rom coms from about nine, the late nineties on, I think. But this was very much the formula for a long time. Like somebody has died, or you've been left at the altar. It wasn't. I I don't know what when if it was more a Vince Vaughn thing, McConaughey. It did turn to what Dex is talking about, Phil, but there was a very – if you go back and watch these types of films for a long time, I'm talking I'm talking way back when uh, through the early 90s or so, this was a formula of it's heavy. It's funny and it's cute, but it's heavy. Yeah, I think like – I don't know when it turned, but you mentioned like McConaughey with How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and then you had in the late 90s, sort of mid to late 90s, you had rom-coms that were sort of targeted toward like high school and college age kids. Yes. Uh, Never been kissed and she's all that, right? And save the last dance and all these that were oh, So you, I think these were more adult targeted romantic 100%. comedy movies, right? These, these are targeting like These are not for kids. Parents and yes. grandparents, etc. Mm-hmm. Um so my main takeaway from this movie is just I feel terrible for Walter. The guy that Annie is about to be oh. married to, oh, I, like just think, and he he brings some of it on himself by just yeah, being you a just total dweeb. You just hit it, but like, okay, they're they're sitting at this. He just he he buys a bottle of Dom Perignon for them, and they're sitting up yeah. above the Thirty Rock building, looking out at the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Yeah. And she's literally like explaining to him how she's falling in love with this other guy, and she's she's flying across the country. She's taking phone calls in the closet secretively. It's like, what did Walter do 
to deserve this sort of treatment. <laughs> just you know, just just be done with Walter. Why not just be done with like? I just, agree. Just break it off with Walter, but and then go do your thing with with Tom Hanks in Seattle. But he's written as such a wuss that I feel no sympathy at all because he's such a sniveling. I've got allergies. Like they might, <laughs> they make him as easy to dismiss as possible. Like his character is written so you feel he is he is a patsy and as ancillary of character as you can get. And I don't disagree with your points, Phil, but it's so clear that they they felt a need to have her leave something important, but they didn't want you to not like her. Right. But here's the other thing. So the 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 early on the scene where they're at that Christmas gathering, that's her family, right? Mm-hmm. So she so he's in her, she's introducing him to or reintroducing or whatever, but but they don't. I think it's the first. They don't time have he's great chemistry. Okay. Yeah. And and he does the I I I I am the luckiest luckiest man on the face of the <laughs> earth earth earth. The Lou Gehrig speech. Yep. Crickets. Wait, like you're telling me in the early 1990s, like that family doesn't know who Lou Gehrig is. Like they never heard of the Lou Gehrig speech. I just feel like I'm listen, telling he's you. Got, is he the funniest guy? No, but he's making a Lou Gehrig joke, and no one gets it. What's wrong with these people? Nora Ephron made it as easy for you to dismiss him as possible because I'm sure their fear was we can't have a male character who she's going to leave because you'll turn on her, and you can't turn on her because she's Meg Ryan. <laughs> she's Meg bleeping Ryan. Meg, Actually, can we do the Meg bleeping Ryan thing right here real quick? I've got her <laughs> filmography in front of us. Yeah. And, awesome. man, like – so, so she, her first ever movie was Rich and Famous in 1981. She was then in Amityville 3D in 1983. She was one of the one of the kids in a haunted house. Mm-hmm. And then she she her third ever movie was playing Goose's wife or girlfriend in Top Gun. Take me to bed and lose me forever, Goose. Yep. And then she goes on. There's a few other movies. Then she gets to Harry Met Sally in 1989. Joe versus the Volcano in 1990. She was in the Doors movie in 1991. Yeah. Uh, Prelude to a Kiss, 1992, Sleepless in Seattle, When a Man Loves a Woman, French Kiss, um, Addicted to Love, Anastasia, City of Angels with Nick Cage in 1998, and I, then You've Got Mail in I 1998. I saw that in the theater. In the theater. Nick Cage and her. Yeah, it God. was uh, it was it's amazing. So so she's only – this is the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. So as as active as she was throughout the late 80s, early 90s, she's only done two movies – in the last 12 years, Fangirl in 2015 and Ithaca in 2016. Um, so she's she's basically just been done with movie acting over the last 12 years. She's not even that old, I don't think. She's so, 59. Good for Meg Ryan. 59 years old. Okay. Uh, what was your favorite part of this movie, Judd? So it was several different scenes <laughs> with with Tom Hanks and his son. And I thought that they were great because they they were spontaneous, they were short, they were cute, they were base, they basically, um, and and I love the fact that you always had the feeling they did a really good job. The kid was was not obnoxious, but in a lot of these scenes, you had the feeling that the kid had control. Like it was this weird. Hanks is sort of the lost character, right? And the kid's like, yeah, my dad. So when when the kid calls in to the show initially, that's actually, I think, a great scene. There's also a small scene where he is talking to his son, and they are brushing their teeth and spitting, and they start talking about sex. Yeah. And and the kid says something about sex that Hanks responds, how did you know that? And the kid says, Jet has cable. (laughs) 
Um, (laughs) But it's just the the kid did such a good job, I thought, of playing off Hanks and and vice versa that my favorite scenes were actually those because I think shooting scenes with kids lots of times comes off as sort of scripted and, and it might be cute, but believable, probably not. I felt every scene with Hanks and his kid like that was believable and they deserve a ton of credit. So th- those were actually my favorite scenes and favorite parts. They had like they had such a weird in a good way relationship in that how how many how many like how old was Sam in this movie? Let's say he's like 35 or wh- whatever he is. He's probably in his 30s. Yep, 30 yep. 35 years old somewhere in there. Yep. And uh, and Jonah's like 10. Oh, he's 8. Right? Says, 8. I'm 8. Yep. How many how many dads who are like 30 interact with their 8-year-old? As if they were an adult. Like he talks. To, I love that he talks to Jonah yeah. like he's an adult. Right. But and he'll just he'll rip him and call him an idiot and stuff. But I think with a mom, like my dad, but I think with a mom being dead, too, it's key because he doesn't have, you know, like an adult around. And and then when Hanks gets the girlfriend who they do a great job of making as annoying as possible, like she's more like a kid than Jonah is. She laughs like a hyena. Yeah, she yeah. laughs like a hyena. But anyway, I thought the chemistry between those two was absolutely fantastic with uh, Hanks right. and his kid. Dex, what about you? Your it's, favorite mo- part? it's moments like that that I confirmed that Judd Zolgad does have a heart, by the way. Oh, I have a big heart. Yeah. It, it, a big those, heart. Like, those are very yeah. sentimental things. And, you know, you're, a, you're crusty old Zolgad, and then I hear no, those things, and I'm like, oh, wow. No, you know, I, know he, I know he cries at, you know, a wonderful life. Wonderful but then, life heart. But, but then he I'd lays like down that scene, and it's just it, it always blows my I'd mind like that he does have a heart. Um, my favorite part is it's more of an idea from this movie, but it, it it's the fact that dating back then is just as difficult as it is now. So people oh always say, people always say, oh, man, I wish it was back in the day. Dating was so much easier 25, 30 years ago. No, it's just as difficult. He has to pull out that damn Rolodex. He has to go get dinner with people he's worked with. It's 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 hilarious, and how he explains it too. Just like Judd was saying with this kid, I I love the scene where he's talking about dating with uh, with Jonah. Aren't you gonna read any of these? No, because this is not how it's done. I'd much rather just see somebody I like and get a feeling about them and ask them if they want to have a drink or, or a slice of pizza. Not dinner, not necessarily on the first date, because halfway through dinner you could be really sorry you asked them to dinner. Whereas if it's just a drink. If you like them, you can always ask them to dinner. But if not, you can just say, well, that was great. And then you go home. You see what I mean? I wonder if it still works this way. It doesn't. They ask you. I'm starting to notice that. So I what? This movie was made in like <laughs> 1993? Like yeah, that, 93. That, that's still relevant in 2021. Like that is exactly how it still goes. I was 23, baby. So yep. I, so I still, I, I, I empathize with that, with that part because he's trying so hard and he's going on these dates and he, yeah, he's dating the people that has a hyena laugh and he's dating his old clients too. Like he's trying to figure it out and his friends are trying to encourage him as well. And I, and I felt like, oh, this still translates, you know, almost 30 years later. I think so. That soundbite's amazing. And by the way, like very savvy move to not get the dinner on the first date because yep. if you get the dinner, if you get the drinks and the dinner, now you've kind of committed to like an hour, hour and a half situation, right? And so if you can, if you can commit to maybe twenty, thirty minutes and then see how it goes, that's always that's always the best play. Um, so I disagree a little bit with you, Declan, in that. And I again, like I've I've been with my wife now for wife. eight years. And so I, I wasn't involved in like online dating, but it would seem to me that 
before online dating existed, just li- like literally meeting people, period, was a lot harder. Like the only ways that you would meet people are through setups, through friends, or randomly running into someone at a bar or like randomly approaching someone at a public place or a grocery store. Um, or in this case, like finding someone that was on the radio and stalking them. At least now, can't you just go on like match.com or Tinder and just like find a hundred people to send messages to? Like you couldn't do that in 1993. True. But I also think um, because of like to your point, even the taboos of social media, like if if you have these profiles on match or Tinder or wherever, you can do your own stalking and figure out like, wait, who is this person? Where in 1993, it's only the word of mouth, right? Like it's only it's only from who you've been who you've been interacting with, and like, oh, this person's like this. You don't have a social media page and figure out, oh my god, this guy's obsessed with hockey and seltzers. Like, I don't want nothing to do with him. So like th- that, but that's that- a good. Isn't that a good thing? Because you, you can. One, one scroll through someone's Instagram page and you can be like, oh, super weirdo. They're gothic or some, you know, you could just like rule them out. You don't find that stuff out until the, the fifth date sometimes in 1993. For sure. Right? So I, I think it, it works like both ways where you can have you can have it in, in both regards where there's more information out on you and that can help you. But can also it can hurt you because even like the, the whole thing, like I've barely done online dating. Like I'm not on it currently. I, I, I've dabbled in a lot of other ones. And the reason I don't like it is because. It's all just so phony to me. Like, it, it doesn't set up well. And you end up having, like, these same stupid texting interactions to the point when you meet each other, there's kind of, like, nothing to talk about. So that, that's why even, like, when I – the brief times I've done it, like, I, it's always been, like, let's go out and figure out it together instead of, like, having the stupid texting small talk. And then when we get together, we kind of, like, have spilt everything we know. That's the problem. So, so in my day, the good thing was you've lost the art of discovery. Because everything's out there. Or like texting. Like texting, I love it for my purposes. But like if you were, if you meet somebody now, it would suck because it's not personal. The art of discovery back in the day when you would meet a, you know, a girl at a bar or like I did a party, right? And then you go out and then you start to discover what they're like. And you know what? You might say to yourself, I don't like this person. But you at least did the legwork to get there. I feel like now it's I, I can go stock your Facebook page, your Instagram page. And by the time we go out, I sort of know you. That sort of takes away the fun. Like the great thing about going to a baseball game is what? You walk through and before your eyes, the field unfolds. And it's the most gorgeous sight in sports as far as I'm concerned. A baseball, <laughs> a well-manicured baseball field, okay? Oh, it's man. the discovery of the baseball field. Well, the discovery in dating was go out to dinner or have a drink and you start to talk and the person's like, I like this and you like – and and it, the discovery was the game. That was fun. I feel like like social media has largely taken some of that away because you now go in with preconceived notions yes. that aren't as much fun. Dr. Like, this Judd. is the fun. This was the fun. But, I mean, and, and you might discover you don't like the person, but that was that was the game itself. I hear you, but, like, isn't it also saving you potentially months of okay. just dragging out something that's not going to work in the end I'm going to help you out here. It's the, it's, it's the exact same. And, by the way, what I'm about to say is both good and bad, okay? So, like, Phil, you're not wrong here. It's the exact same as analytics and sports. <laughs> it's too much. At times, it's too much. So you want to you take five years to figure out that uh, 
I like want, your favorite hockey prospect isn't going to pan out. I want to know right now. Yeah, I want to know right now. Yes, yes. I, but, I, I can tell you right now that the, I can tell you right now that uh, Aunt Edward shooting threes at that rate, he's going to be a bust if he keeps doing that. But here's but here's what you I want to keep finding out over three years. But I but I might find out. I might find out what I presume to be a first line wing is a grinding third line winger who works his ass off. But I only found that out by giving him a chance. That's fair. I only found that out point. now the preconceived thing is, well, I know what this person's going to be, so I put him or her in a box, and that's it. The human condition, my man, it allows for discovery that we now don't because of our presumptions about things that we get from having too much information. This is the most productive conversation we've ever had on a rom-com or AMR Rewind. I just want to point that out before you go. I feel like Declan owes us for, or owes Judd, really, not me. Well, this comes from years of different, this comes from perspectives from what I'm 51, Phil, you're what? 35, 35. Yep. And Dex, you're 27, 28. Yeah. So, I mean, this runs the gamut truly of different (laughs) eras in dating. It does. I think, I think only only one thing can come out of this. It's that Declan has to let Judd set up some sort of online dating profile in the way that Judd sees best fit for Declan. God. E-Harmony, Farmers Only, <laughs> J-Date, I don't care. <laughs> we, we can ask our friend Randy in Cottage Grove what the best platforms are, but we need Judd to – we need total – Judd gets total control over the roster here. Total control over the the description, the photo that we use for It would be a very short description. <laughs> it would be this, one sentence. Discovery is the fun of the date. No more information. And there's no photo, nothing. Yeah, nothing. No, nothing. a photo's fine, <laughs> but I'm saying I'm not going to give away. I like horseback and croquet. Well, Declan wouldn't like horseback, but I'm not going to give cro- away croquet. croquet for sure. Or hockey. Yeah. I'm not giving away anything. Discovery is the fun of the day. I like it. I like it. Um, okay, my my favorite part of this movie was actually the soundtrack. Yep, I have yeah. that written down. It's really good. This soundtrack. So, so I, I've got love it in front it. of me. As Time Goes By by Jimmy Durant, oh, A Kiss to Build a Dream on, Louis Armstrong, Stardust, Nat King Cole, as there's, he, I think he's inside of his, you know, waterfront houseboat, just one of the great all time, I'm a huge Nat King Cole guy, mm-hmm. making Whoopi, um, Back in the Saddle Again, Gene Autry, Bye Bye Blackbird, Joe Cocker, A Wink and a Smile by Harry Connick Jr., Stand By Your Man, Tammy Wynette, a, An Affair to Remember, Make someone happy, Jimmy Durant, and then when I fall in love, Celine Dion and Clive Griffin. Just like a ten out of ten, old school, great classic soundtrack. This movie, absolutely, yeah. It, it was, it yeah. was, it it didn't make the film, but it played a big role. It did. It played a huge for role, sure. actually, for sure. All right, your least favorite part about Sleepless in Seattle, Judd. Um. Okay, I got two things quickly. One, Pullman's character. Bill Pullman's character oh. is just such a weenie, and, and, yes. and you're not supposed to like him. I know that, but you know, Phil. To your point, you're on the top of Thirty Rock having dinner, and he's like, "You've been sort of distracted lately," and she's like, "Yeah, I'm in love with somebody else." I think, <laughs> and he's just like, "Ah, uh, okay," and he just like gives the ring. Like, really? You're telling you know? He just gives the ring back. I mean, he's got a bottle of Dom, so he's like, ah, whatever. I guess this could this could be worse. And, this and, could be worse. And then I know they had to. I know they had to write it to get the kid to from Seattle to New York to go to the top of the Empire State Building. I understand that, 
but he just leaves and jumps in a cab and goes to the airport and gets on a plane and Tom Hanks lost track of him? Well, this movie, in fairness, came out three years after Home Alone, so this premise was definitely mm. already out there sure, in the mainstream no, consciousness. I, I know, but I mean, a lot about... A lot of things about this film were slightly savvy, but probably believable. But the kid just like walking out of the house, it it was cute and funny. But I was also like, you could have worked a little bit harder to get the kid to the airport to get on the plane. Because um, I like the film, but I'm just saying that 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 to me was such a stretch that the little kid could just jump in a cab, go to SeaTac, jump on a plane, make the jaunt, and be like, okay, bye. You're right. I, you said this it. earlier. This sets up like this sets up for a sequel in two ways. Number one, we need to know how the relationship pans out, right? Did yes. they did they find out that they hate each other after like two weeks? Did they did they stay together and have more kids? And then I'd also like to find out what happened to Jonah because Jonah's like one of the smartest eight year old kids I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And so did did Jonah wind up falling into a life of drug use? That's what I said. Drugs and drugs too and, smart. Yeah, ran with the wrong crowd or did he wind up being some, you know, I don't know, a politician, an astrophysicist. We need to join know what band. happened to, to Jonah. Join joined a band. Nirvana. <laughs> That's what he gets. So he Soundgarden. He saw, he joined Soundgarden. <laughs> Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, Dex, what was your least favorite part? Uh my least favorite part of this movie is and I know we're gonna get into it too with the chemistry. It's just, it's just the fact they're not together at all in this film until the last scene. Like, it, it's hard for me to get, like, really totally invested and give this, like, a perfect score, not to spoil, but, like, the fact that they're apart the entire film. Because there's even the scene where she's driving and she hears him talking on the radio and she's finishing his sentences and you're like, oh, wow. Like, you can already, like, I got the interpretation, like, oh, man, the chemistry here between these two is going to be awesome. She's she's halfway across the country She's finishing his sentences. She's going to, like, jump on a plane or they're somehow going to meet and it's going to be great. And then their relationship starts. And instead, like, it's basically this little bit of a cat and mouse game. And there's a one part where he obviously sees her in Seattle or in the airport and in Seattle. But the fact that they're apart the entire film, I mean, I guess that maybe that makes the the meeting at the end that much special. But I kind of didn't enjoy the fact that they're basically apart and she's with someone else for 95 percent of this movie. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take what you said and, and sort of piggyback into my least favorite part. I think Annie is a criminal stalker, and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's yep. go through the list here, okay? So for one, she becomes obsessed with someone that she has no idea what he looks like. Like literally, just heard this guy on a radio show across the country, and so that's red flag number one. Becomes so obsessed that she's sneaking downstairs with a radio into like a kitchen cabinet so she can listen late at night to these radio phone calls. It's a boombox. So so she's she's laying some creepy groundwork. Yep. Then she goes another step forward and does a background check on Sam. And it's not like today where you can literally just like type in someone's name on the internet and find out a bunch of things about them and you don't like have to do a he- she's sure. like going into the 1993 internet and doing a background check on Sam Baldwin. Bol- the Baltimore Suns database, I believe. So, like, she's abusing her employer's database. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Super creepy. And if that's not enough, (laughs) she flies to Seattle. She flies to Seattle to see if she can strike up, like, a face-to-face conversation or just, like, lay eyes on Sam and Jonah uh, over in Westlake. She she hired a PI as well to take pictures of Sam on his date. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. She is a stalker. 
Oh, yeah. Massively yes. creepy. Yes. She could have been arrested. Probably should have been. And by right, the way, yeah. if you're Sam, this is what I want to know if there's a sequel. If you're Sam, don't you have to find out at some point the length that she went to? Like, wouldn't that make you, would that make, would that be charming to you? Like, oh, this person really likes me, even though they don't know me. Or, oh my God, you were, what? Like, you, you hired a private investigator. You stalked me through your work database and then you flew out here as well. Like, wouldn't he be thinking, why did I see this woman in Seattle that one time? Yeah, but like, why was, why, why but was he she was in Seattle? Smitten with her, but he saw her and he was smitten. And, and as I told Don, Tom Hanks' character looks at her the way he looked at Wilson, the volleyball. <laughs> he does. He's got that. Like, he looked at – he. she was Wilson. Oh, my God. Seriously, better, better go, back and, go back and Tom watch H- that. Better chemistry. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan or Tom Hanks and Wilson? Tom Hanks and Wilson's a really good chemistry. It's, like, really good. It's really good. Disagree. So so how does Meg – here's what I, I didn't get about her trip. So she's across the street and sees Jonah and Hanks' character and his his girlfriend hugging. She basically steps out into traffic and almost gets hit by a semi, okay? So, like, you would figure at that point you'd be like, oh, I really shouldn't step out into traffic. I should step back. Then she steps back in, out into traffic and almost gets hit by a taxi cab. Like, how many times would you go into the middle of the road to watch somebody? <laughs> That's a great question. I Wouldn't don't know. Wouldn't you have I stayed think- back? I will say too, if I if just having been right. here for like a week, I believe I believe that's ninety nine. It's a super busy like cars are just flying back and forth. It's not the type of road that you would want to just wander out into the middle of because mm-hmm. cars are coming around corners like they can't see you. So she probably would have died actually so, if she was actually doing that. <laughs> that. That's like the equivalent of like Snelling in university. Just like you're you're just standing yeah. in the middle. There's a light rail. There's there's two ways of traffic. It's it's absolutely nuts. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, all right, next uh, next category here. The least believable part of this movie. Okay. New York City. Evening time. Observation deck. Empire State Building. There ain't no way, no matter how much you bag and plead, that after the observation deck is closed for the night, they're letting you up there. And, like, the guy at first to Meg Ryan's character is like, sorry, it's closed. And then she's like, but I didn't have to go. And he's like, okay, no problem. Uh, my wife loves that movie. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a fair to remember with Cary Grant, which which is like, like the basis for this film. But like with her being like, please let me. This is New York. Minneapolis, maybe. Okay. Maybe. But New York, no way. There is no way you get up there. <laughs> Again, just come up with a different. Like she didn't need to be late to go to the observation deck. They didn't even need to really do that. It was just supposed to be like it is magic. It's mad. It's cheesy. It is pre nine eleven. I will say that. Yeah, which yeah, by which by the way, when when Hanks and Jonah drop the girlfriend off at the airport, they are at basically where she's going to get on the plane. And the first time that he sees. Meg Ryan's character, she's getting off that same flight. Mm. He never could have seen her after September 11th, 2001, because you ain't allowed anywhere near a plane unless you're getting on the plane now. It's a great point. Uh, a great point. Declan, your least believable part. My least believable part, um, and Phil, you might be able to help me out since you've been there for a week, but the whole fact that this dude like lives on the water in this exquisite houseboat. All right, so I... And, and, and here's another like a nitpick He's I have. Architect. He's an architect, right? Is he okay? So I couldn't tell if he was a yes. carpenter. 
I couldn't tell if he was an art because like he has Architect. this cushy, awesome Chicago desk job. He's designing, and then he's like in this, and then he's in Seattle doing that little home, you know, remodel with with one of the women. Yep. And I'm just like, there's, I don't care if he's an architect, a carpenter, and even he has a sick life insurance policy from his wife died. There's zero chance he can afford that house. It's like it, it, yep. it's right on the water. He just moved across the country. It, it was it was hilarious to me. Like it, it was it's cool because he's like on the water. You can take yeah. his kid fishing and on the boat, and it's great. I thought the but, same thing. But zero chance he can just afford that yeah. house just living by himself with his eight year old son. I'm actually gonna do. I'm gonna do a. <laughs> it quick would be like little... right now if Phil was was right. in that house. Hey guys, I moved to Seattle. Oh, that's awesome. Did you get a townhouse? No. Houseboat. I would love it. By the way, I would of course love you would. You know, I'm just, you know how much I'm, that thing would have cost in 1993. So oh. I'm looking up right now. I'm just pulling up Zillow.com <laughs> to see. So the so the house, I, I think there's not a lot of information on that actual house. Like it's, just I don't look know up if someone like a, owns it. It's private. Just look up like a Seattle house, houseboat. Houseboat, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm on Zillow right now. Okay. And there's, there's not like there's not a lot of them for sale, but there is one here. Okay, this is, it's a houseboat. Three bedroom, two bath, two thousand square foot houseboat. Literally, like right next to, like within, I don't know, a hundred yards of where this one is. Two point three million dollars for sale right hey, Declan's, now. Declan's, and you said that was two thousand square feet. Yes, and, oh. and and Hanks's place is like a, a three bedroom, couple bath. There's an upstairs. It's way more than two thousand square feet. I found it. The the. Uh, this is a 2014 story from Seattle that said that that place sold at that time for $2 million. At what in, time? In 2014, the, the houseboat that was used okay. in the movie Sleepless in Seattle sold. The sale price uh, was not disclosed, but this publication learned the price was more than $2 million. Yeah, I will say, going through these Zillow photos of this other one, it's pretty pretty badass. Oh, it's cool it's as badass. hell. Yeah. yeah, but how? But like, oh, my wife's dead. What should we do? Let's move. Where? Two million dollar houseboat. Actually, that's that's a good just a, a side question here. If your wife died suddenly and like your life has been uprooted, what would you do? Would you would you move halfway across the country? Would you like start dating right away? Would you just be a hermit the <laughs> rest a of your really life? Like morbid morbid question for a fifty one year old with a wife who's <laughs> older than him. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd probably I'd probably move to a condo. Yeah, I can I probably move to a condo. I would thrive in a condo. Here's my question off Declan's point, though, now. So if he moved to Seattle and bought that nice of, of house, my question is, what was his dead wife's life insurance policy? Because I think we nice. got, I think, I think the sequel is he gets arrested. Oh. <laughs> I think the sequel is he's guilty cancer, of, huh? he's, he yeah, he's guilty of murder. And as you all know, there's no statute of limitations on murder. Oh, I love it. No, I love the Dateline NBC episode where we find out that that's how like half of the Dateline NBC episodes are. Someone wanted hey, the life insurance policy and so, hired a hitman. So Dawn watches those things constantly now. Like she They're DVRs great. them. Here's my problem. My patience is so thin. I then Google them because they're all out there. Like yeah. last night she's wa- watching one and I'm like, okay, the husband did it uh, to get the, the life insurance policy for gambling debts. I have no patience. So, like, I know what happened within the first portion of the show, five minutes. 
Dex, least believable part? Did we already do that with yeah, you? Yeah, I just the did that. Yep. Thing? Yeah, the house boat's okay. my least believable. Uh, for me, the, I'll just go quick. The least believable part is just like, I agree with the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day and just like randomly going back up and, and the chance there. All right, what was the cheesiest part of this movie for you guys? Chad? I've, uh, got, one for, I've, got, I've yeah. got one for you if you want. Okay. Yeah, go for yeah. That's fine. It's the part where he sees Annie at the airport for the first time and he's explaining to Jonah. And I've got, I wrote down the quote. You know, he's Jonah's trying to explain, oh, it, 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 this would be perfect for you. Well, and, 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 and Sam's line was, Jonah, there's no such thing as a perfect. And then he stops at the word perfect as Annie walks off of the Ob- whatever. Obliviously, whatever like staring off. And he just like, yeah, he just like, he's in a trance and he just like walks forward a few steps. And then I think like something gets between them or whatever happens. Um, that's the cheesiest part. Like just him running into her two or three times randomly and then going into a trance every time. You guys have any other, any cheesy parts before we um, move on here? The, the one scene when, when Joan is in the taxi cab and he goes, Oh, we're going to go kid. You're going to go to the top of the Empire State Building. And, and then she's like, I'm going to go meet my mommy. And it's just like, Oh God, like it's just more, more cringy. I think than it is cheesy. It's just, yeah. it's freaky. When, when the, the kid leaves the backpack on top of the Empire State Building and Meg Ryan finds it and immediately like opens it up and takes the teddy bear out. And no, and you know, it's a, it. yeah, like, come on. Creepy, dude. She's creepy. Like if she I find a backpack, creepy. I ain't opening that thing on the, in New York City, a lone <laughs> backpack. I ain't opening that thing immediately. Oh, here's a teddy bear. Let me almost put it in my mouth. Dude, yeah, super creepy, Jesus. super creepy. You're right. Uh, is is Brooks Robinson the greatest third baseman of all time? It's the great. He might be the greatest fielding third baseman of all time. There's no way he's the greatest third baseman across the board of all time. I don't think. I'm gonna have to ask Pat. Yeah, Pat. My, my, Mike Schmidt's in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I uh, he was he was one of the great glove men of all time. There's no doubt about that. I don't know that he would qualify as being the greatest third baseman of, of all time because that that's a question that then extends to the plate. And, I mean, Brooks was great, and he played for a long time, but that's – I don't know about that one. So uh, accolades for this film. This film was recognized by American Film Institute in AFI's 10 top 10 mm-hmm. uh, as the number 10th ranked romantic comedy of all time. The film received two nominations for awards at the 66th Academy Awards in 1994, lost out to the piano for Best Original Screenplay. Never saw that. While the song A Wink and a Smile lost out to Streets of Philadelphia from Philadelphia, another Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> yes, it was. By the way, speaking of Tom Hanks movies, my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you without skipping a movie. Yep. I'm not going to skip any movies. Yep. This is the run that Tom Hanks went on from the late 80s all the way through the 90s. Yes. Big... The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, Joe versus the Volcano, The Bonfire of the Vanities. Never seen that. Yep. Radio Flyer, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Academy Apollo Award, right? 13. Yep. For both those. Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, wrote it. You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, yep. The Green Mile, Cast Away, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Road to Perdition, oh, Catch yeah. Me If You Can, um, and then he and then he wow. skipped. Then he took a couple years off. I mean, come on. So a couple, That's absurd. Uh, two Thanksgivings ago, me and my aunt and cousins, we did Hanks Giving. <laughs> so we did three Tom Hanks movies in like, and and so we did three of them. But we did like early, mid, and then current. So we did Joe versus the Volcano to start. We started off with that. 
and then we did Catch Me If You Can, and then we did uh, Sully to end. Love it, dude. Um, Thanksgiving. I Thanksgiving. love that. That's hilarious. And, I mean, there was I, – I, I really wanted that thing. Like, that thing you do is, like, probably my guilty pl- – like, top five, one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like Joel versus the Volcano. It just, like, I don't know. It, it, it just wasn't that great to me. Like, it's kind of a weird film, too. I just didn't connect with it. But he did have an insane run there for basically 15 years where he was the top dog. He, he won yep. best He won best a- actor for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, I think, in back-to-back years, right? I believe so. I believe so. Yep. Uh, so that brings us to the last couple of categories here, the definitive relationship rankings. Criteria is just chemistry, on-screen chemistry between the two. So far, Hitch and Sarah from Hitch are an 8.8 out of 10. Ben Barry and Andy Anderson, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, an 8.3. Ben and Lindsay from Fever Pitch, a 6.7. So, Judd, how would you score Sam and Annie's chemistry? What would you give them for a ranking here? This is where I'm actually going to try to put the chemistry rankings, turn them upside down, put yep. them on their head, and, and amaze the people of the depth of our <laughs> knowledge when it comes to this segment. Um, I am going to submit to you guys that I do not think the chemistry is the two adults. I think the chemistry is Tom Hanks and Jonah, Tom Hanks' son. I think that's wow. the chemistry. Are we? Okay. So do we have to do that? Are we, well, are but, we changing? No, I, I'm curious. If you, guys, if you guys say no, that's fine. But what I'm saying is I submit that the chemistry in this film can't be two people who barely meet at the end just because they might have – something in common when there is such great chemistry between the father and son. So where I fall on this is there. What, what Judd is saying is that there's, there's essentially little to no chemistry, at least on screen chemistry there's between not. both of them they throughout this film. Cause even when I, I mean, I wrote down, I wrote down originally three out of 10. I wrote down three out of 10 because they're just, they're not together at all during this entire film. So if we want to pivot to him and Jonah, I think that is a completely different ranking because the the chemistry between those two is insane. But I think we I think we have to keep I, I think we have to keep there has to be a Sam and Annie ranking. I agree. But but Judd's point is well taken. Yes. That the movie is less about those two, it's more about the father and the son. Yeah. So so with that, Declan scores at a three. Three. Judd. I mean, they're not together really, so it's hard to do. Um I mean it's uh Unknown, but I guess it'd be about a three is fine. Yeah, like it's it's just I I didn't see enough. I think if you're scoring the chemistry in her mind based on what she thinks their chemistry will be, (laughs) she's she's Charles Manson, dude. (laughs) And he's very skeptical and sort of like he thinks she's beautiful. Yeah, but they've yet to meet. So I got I'll give it a four. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt in her mind, but I but I'm going to give it a four. And so with that here, some quick math here. What's a carry the four? Look at three. So it's like a a three point three average between the two of them. And when we do another, inevitably, when we do like you've got mail, then we can start to compare all of the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan scores and uh, see where they fall. Yep. Okay, one through ten for the movie itself. Criteria: okay. entertainment value. So Hitch is a nine. How to lose a guy in ten days? Eight point eight. And Fever Pitch a six point three. Judd seven and a half. Seven and a half for me. Good, yeah. solid, not great. I, I liked it more at the time than I do now. Um, seven and a half. Yeah, for me, it's a seven. I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I I would watch it again, but I, I think just the lack of them being together on screen holds it back from our other movies. So for, for me, it's a seven. 
Um, yeah, it's it's a seven for me as well. Um, this movie, I feel like I enjoyed this movie more the first couple times I saw it, yep. and I don't know if it just doesn't hold up as well because it's a different era. It's good. I love the soundtrack more than I love the movie, so I actually give it. I actually give a couple points extra for the soundtrack. So that brings it to a 7.2, making it third out of four rom-coms that we have reviewed to this point, boys. Um, so for the next, okay, we've got a bunch of these written down. I'm going to throw a few out, and then I want you guys to help me figure out, should we do a random choice? Should we just pick one? So Crazy Stupid Love is on our list. Fantastic. The, yep. the American President is on our list. And I, I, I know that you guys haven't seen that. For the, for the purposes of this segment, this show, it would be an amazing review. Trust me. All right. Uh, and then I'll also put out Sweet Home Alabama, and She's Out of My League oh. as the four that we're looking at. What's the last one? She's Out of My League. Which is who? I, uh, it I has, know that. Yep. It has Alice Eve, Jay Burchell, TJ Miller. Uh, it's a pretty goofy one. It's one of, I saw again, another rom-com that I saw in theaters twice. Okay. I saw it. And it's one, I, and it's one of I'm my. I'm not passing judgment it's on, one of my on you for that. Favorite. You're young and dumb. It's favorite fine. films. Um. Okay. Should we, should we should we put these in a hat, so to speak, and and draw randomly, sure. or do you guys? No, no. Let's draw. Strong feeling we should draw. Yeah. The the okay. only one I will say, and I love it, but it's really really good. Um, Crazy Stupid Love. Good movie. Is fantastic. It might be is too. It, it, it might it be too good. It might be too good for for us. I would watch it again, and I really like it. But it is really well. I mean, it's a very it, good movie. It might be too well done. It's a really good movie. Okay, then I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one out here, and we're okay. gonna put these other three in a hat. So okay. we'll, we'll we'll take Crazy Stupid Love out here. We'll put three in a hat. We're gonna have Declan pick. I'm gonna shuffle these up, and uh, you just have to choose a number one through three, my man. Okay, right now, uh, one. Sweet Home Alabama. All right, I still love that movie. It's a great movie. Sweet Home Alabama. That's, um, that also is Reese, that's right? just going to be absurd. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. I love Reese, man. Yep. Big Reese guy. So, so there it is. That's a uh, rom com <laughs> rewind here. On what, Mackie and what Ted. actress? What actress have you said? I can't stand her. Drew Barrymore. Can't that's, stand Drew Barrymore. That's true. Which is too bad. I really like uh, that. There's probably some others too that I could get into. All right. Actually, fifty first dates would be a great. We should do fifty first oh, dates so Declan can review that, a uh, Drew Barrymore. That movie. would be that. That was a good one. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's Sandler, All right. right? Yes, yep. Sandler. Sandler. Yep. That and the wedding yep. singer. All, All right, that's a wrap on Rom Com Rewind every single Friday. So next week, get cut up on Sweet Home Alabama. See you guys then. It's you. It's me. I saw you in the street. Are you Annie? Yes. You're Annie. This must be yours. I'm Jonah. This is my dad. His name's Sam. Hi, Jonah. Sam. We better go. Shall we?